0: which we cry out, Abba, Father. And you know that word, Abba, is a word, a term of endearment. That was a a tender word that a son uh, would use to his father. And it says, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. That would be us. Amen? And that's a cool thing. Um, I wanted to, uh, two quick things, is to mention that we have some flyers out on the uh, the, the ministry table out there. Uh, Dennis Sprick, who's a friend of our ministry and uh, creates all kinds of pottery, and what he does is is he ministers as he creates pottery. If you were here Father's Day, I think it was two years ago, he created that. And um, uh, but uh, he is uh, on his way to uh, some Native American tribes, and um, he's putting together a, a, a fundraiser sale for some of his pots. Uh, some of his cracked pots, some of his um, uh, uh, items that he's made uh, over the years and trying to raise money to get to the Navajo, uh, not just Navajo, but to uh, uh, these Native American tribes. And so if you'd like more information on that, this flyer is out there. Uh, it's this week, but you can get all the details, including a map. And, uh, you know, that'd be a cool thing to support him on his way to go and minister because, you know, that's a... That's a um, That's a pretty big thing in the in the Native American culture, you know these kinds of things, and so, um, uh, you know he uh, he uh, is an instrument of the Lord when he goes and he does that. Okay. Uh, Also, if you did not get the email at the end of our time together today, for all of you who are members, how many of you are members? Raise your hand. We're we're going to have a membership vote. Members include those. I know, I know. Like I used to say, people would say, what do I have to do to be a member? And I'd say, do you love Jesus? Yes. Are you coming back next week? Yes. Then you're a member. Okay. Okay. According to the four square bylaws, there's a little bit more involved than that. And what that means is is that if you've had our membership class, then you are deemed a member. Or if you've transferred your membership from another four-square church, you're indeed a member. And so afterwards, we're having a vote. Um, we've been telling you that our offices uh, are going to be clean out of here by the end of uh, June. And so we've got a place that we've got a lease for. But any new building arrangements, the body has to vote on. And so all of you members, give me about 10 to 15 minutes tops after our service, and we need you to vote on that, we'll explain all the details, and uh, get you on and out of your way, and if you'd like to just kind of hang out, and and watch the process, you know, if you're not a member, that's cool too, because we don't want you to feel like you have to leave, you can uh, hang out as well, but you can't vote, all right, good, Uh, open up your Bibles to Revelation chapter 5, Revelation chapter 5, and while you're doing that, let's pray, why don't we all stand up? (laughs) Father God, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. and We thank you for this day. It is an amazing day. It's a beautiful day, Lord. Thank you for the cool temperatures. Well, I think it's in the 90s today. Uh, we will take it. And Father, thank you for your word, um, uh, that your word would speak to us, God, and encourage us and strengthen us. We know that one word from you can change our entire lives. So we're willing to receive what you have. And Lord, we say amen right now to your word. And we say yes, Jesus, to your word. Let your will be done in our lives, just as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. You know, while you're standing, could we just um, um, offer up a prayer for the the officers and uh, the other gentlemen this this past weekend? You know, Sunday, uh, uh, there was someone who came into the service. I'm sure you're aware of the the shootings that took place here in the city. And Sunday, uh, there was a brother who came up to me literally shaking. And he said that he was on his way to church, and he said, man, there were police cars flying on the freeway uh, to get to somewhere. And uh, he had just read some accounts online of what had happened, and um, it was a tragic, tragic, tragic thing. And uh, there was a a, a prayer vigil on Monday at the CC's Pizza, where the two officers were gunned down. And uh, it was amazing, amazing experience just to be there and to see you know some some 3 350 400 people jammed in that parking lot people praying worship music praying the gospel going forth and 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 also just letting uh, our law enforcement know you know we are for you we're behind you we love you and we're praying for you and i mean who knows i understand the next day there was an officer that was that was involved in the shooting and uh, and he survived and and who knows if not for the prayer of the saints that uh, that man is alive you know we're told to pray for those leaders and those who are in authority uh, over us uh, whether we agree or disagree with them. we're told to pray for them uh, that these men are ministers of god and that uh they need uh, that protection and so if we could just pray also father in the name of jesus we join a, a church uh, we join a, a a city uh that is uh, still grieving the loss of of these men as well as the other gentlemen uh at the walmart that was killed um uh, and, uh, you know, Lord, even for the even for the, um, the perpetrators of this crime, I'm sure they have family, too. Uh, I'm sure they have people that maybe loved them and cared about them and thought, man, how could this have happened? Lord, it is just a big, tangled mess. But, Lord, we know that what the enemy means for evil, you can turn to good. And we know, Lord, that um, uh, what, however much grace and mercy is needed, that, Lord, it's, there is a sufficient amount for us. And so, Lord, be gracious, be merciful, be strong. A God of all comfort, comfort these families, comfort this city, comfort a police department that's just got to be grieving this. And Lord, may we as a people be your instruments of righteousness and your instruments of peace. Father, we um, we lift up these these people to you that are so precious to you. And we say, Lord Jesus, that you would be the one that would wrap your arms around them and comfort them, Uh, even if it's just to breathe in and breathe out, to take one foot and put it in front of the other. God, we give you all the glory for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Uh, Well, there was a preacher who was preaching a message one uh, Sunday morning, and uh, he was teaching on the text out of Genesis regarding Jacob's ladder. If you remember that story, it's um, Jacob is on the run from his brother, he is left by himself, all of his family, all of his goods and everything that he has worked so hard to bring out of the land that he has come for is um, uh, is, uh, is gone on before him across the river Jabbok. And he's by himself and he, he has this, this vision of a ladder that goes up to heaven and, and the angels of God are, are ascending and descending on this ladder. Uh, we would know in the, come to know in the New Testament that that ladder is Jesus Christ and that all of the blessings of God that come down to earth and that the prayers that go up and the connection we have with God is, is, is the Lord Jesus himself. Well, this pastor's young son was in the audience that particular day and he was pretty impressed with the message. So about a week later, uh, he said to his father, you know, Dad, that was a pretty cool message that you preached. And, and I kind of had my own dream uh, and, and I also, like Jacob, saw a ladder going up uh, uh, to, to the heavens, and, and, and I wanted to climb the la- ladder, uh, but at the bottom, there were several pieces of chalk uh, for, for everyone who wanted to climb up into the ladder. And apparently, uh, in his young man's dream, he told his father that what, what you had to do is, as you climbed up the ladder, you had to take the chalk and mark a spot for every sin that you had committed. Every sin. And so he said, I grabbed the chalk, Dad, and, and I started to make my way up the ladder, and I could remember sin after sin and I and I'm going up the ladder. And then all of a sudden, kind of to my surprise, there was somebody who was coming down the ladder. And his father said, Well who would be who would be like do who would be like making their way to heaven and, and coming down the ladder? And he said, Well, Dad, I'm telling you, it was only a dream, but it was you. You were coming down the ladder. And he says, well, son, what was I, what was I doing coming down the ladder? He said, dad, you were going down to get more chalk. Mark your sins. <laughs> Psalm 130, chapter three says, uh, verse three says, if, if you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Aren't you glad that God doesn't mark our iniquities? Last week we were looking in the book of Revelation and we looked at a, a, a door, a throne, a rainbow, and a choir. We saw twenty-four elders. We saw seven lamps. We 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 read about the thunder and the lightning that John encountered. Four living creatures. Uh, we 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 sang. We practiced that song. Have been practicing the song of heaven this week. The number one hit tune in heaven. Throughout all the ages will be, how's it start? Holy, 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 depending on the translation you have, that should all be the same. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come, the number one on the charts. In fact, they don't have charts in heaven. It's the number one song. It always is and it always will be. And then the number two song, remember that one? Worthy art thou, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For thou didst create all things, and because of thy will, they existed and were created. Remember those songs, the, the sounds of heaven? Um, well, you know, there's an interesting thing that as we get this picture of, of heaven, uh, remember that God gave, uh, as the children of Israel were wandering through the wilderness, He gave them uh, a blueprint for a tabernacle on earth. And later on, uh, King David put together all of the materials and all of the supplies so that his son Solomon could build the temple. And, and, and in that, there's some, there's some specific items that are mentioned And it's kind of like that which was on earth is a copy of that which was on heaven. For example, there's the earthly temple or the tabernacle. And then there's the heavenly sanctuary Uh, on earth. You had the holy of holies. But in heaven, the very center of everything is around the throne of God on earth. You had the seven uh, branched candlesticks in heaven. You have seven lamps before the throne uh, on Earth, you had the bronze laver, uh, but in heaven it's a sea of glass. On Earth, you had the cherubim that, that that were were hammered out and and, and were sitting on the mercy seat. Their wings were touching as they, in a sense, covered the glory of God. Ah, but in heaven you have the four living creatures, uh, in the in the heavenly temple, you have the priest ministering unto the Lord. And, and in heaven, you have the 24 elders. And, and there's more similarities to come as we go on through the book of Revelation. So this morning, we're in chapter 5. We're going to get through verse 1 through 7. This is an amazing, amazing portion of Scripture. It is absolutely incredible what takes place next. If you were with us last week, you, you, you kind of get the context of, of what happened. But Remember the twenty four elders are falling down, and they 're worshiping him, and you have the the, the the heavenly creatures that are there before the throne ministering to the lord and then chapter five now the the, the scene shifts from the throne to the to the specific thing that 's happening on the throne and it says verse one, and we 'll go verse by verse it says it says this, and I saw this is John speaking to the next thing that he saw, he has seen he says, "I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne." A book written inside and on the back, sealed up with seven seals, okay? And the hymn is God Almighty, who is seated on the throne. God is holding a scroll. Now, if God's holding a scroll, uh, the first thing we can get is that it's got to be something pretty important that's written on it. Uh, he's holding it in his right hand, which is symbolic of strength. Sorry for all you lefties out there. Uh, uh, my kid, you know, one of my kids is a lefty, the other's ambidextrous, and so, but 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 the right hand, at least in ancient times, is considered the, the strength. Yeah? because most people are, are right handed. And, and so this is God holding a scroll in his right hand. Okay, then it's a, turns out it's a double-sided scroll. Now you have to remember that ancient scrolls were written horizontally not vertically. Remember there was no books and there was no binding and you couldn't just kind of flip from page to page to page. Uh, and and if you had a whole lot that you had to say, then that meant you had to have a very long what? Scroll. Alright, but this particular one is filled up on both sides. Ooh, both sides. Now that didn't happen. Scrolls were one-sided. This one is two-sided, and it's filled up on both sides, and that tells me there's nothing else that can be added to this scroll. There's not another scroll. There's not a copy of it. uh, There's not an extension somewhere. No, this is it, and it's filled. Well, it's sealed up with seven seals. Uh, When the uh, Roman emperors Vespasian and and Caesar Augustus left their wills to their successor in the Roman Empire, uh, they would put uh, put it on scrolls that were rolled up and sealed with seven seals. But the context of chapter five, um, especially for those with a Jewish background that would be reading this, um, they would understand it to be an ancient real estate transaction. Uh, The title deed of the property, which was written on a scroll, was sealed with seven seals. Okay, so when the roll was finished, it was held together with strings and then sealed with wax. And so this scroll in the right hand of God with writings on both sides of it is, is sealed, which means this, there's nothing else that can be written on it because it's sealed. Okay. So here's, here's the million dollar question. Uh, What is the scroll and what's written on it? That's what inquiring minds want to know. Um, is it the rest of the book of Revelation? Mm, no, we have that here. It's probably not that. Uh, I've heard that some say it's the title deed to the earth. And let me explain that. In Genesis, you can argue that title deed to the earth belonged to Adam. Adam and Eve. In particular, Adam. Adam was uh, uh, was to have dominion. Uh, he was to exercise authority. Authority, um, it belonged to him. But when he and Adam sinned, everything in that sense was turned over to Satan. Uh, And Adam lost his his rulership. He lost his dominion. He was to subdue the earth. And and everything kind of went from this nice, authoritative, Adam, you are the the tender of the garden. Uh, I tell my kids all the time, don't be so mad at work. It's not a result of sin. I mean, the very first thing that Adam had, Adam had a job and he was to work and he was to multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, But when, when, when sin came into the picture, it marred all of that. So now Satan is called the God of this world. John 14, 30, Jesus says, I will not speak much more with you for the ruler of the world is coming and he has nothing in me. I'm the ruler of the world. Remember when Jesus tempted Satan and offered him all the kingdoms of the earth? This is what he said. I will give you all this domain and its glory for it has been handed over to me and I give it to whomever I wish. Ah. Now, wait a second. Before you think that God has completely relinquished the earth to Satan. It says in Psalm 24, 1, but the earth is the Lord's. And though the governments of the world, the economic institutions, maybe even military institutions, maybe to some degree, might belong to Satan in general, uh, uh, it's still the Lord's. We understand that Satan can do nothing without approval from above. He can't just run roughshod and do whatever he wants. The Book of Job tells us that because Job uh, uh, was going as he was going through all of his persecutions, that Satan had to ask permission. Remember, Jesus told Peter, "Satan has asked permission to sift you as wheat." Why did he ask permission? Because he doesn't just do everything he wants to do. There are boundaries. Okay, so maybe that's that's one thing. Uh, Another thing to think about, Warren Worsby says this that the scroll represents title deed to all that the Father promised Jesus because of his sacrifices on the cross. Psalm chapter 2 says, Ask of me, and I will give thee the nations, the heathen or the nations, for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Some see the scroll as God's will for the remainder of time that the earth would remain. the the final settlement of the universe. Because after this scroll is opened up, literally all hell will break loose. And so, according to Adam Clark, he says, the book may mean the purposes and designs of God relative to his government of the world and the church, but we whose habitation is in the dust know nothing of such things. We are, however, determined to guess. Walford says this, the seven-sealed book, therefore... Uh, is the comprehensive program of God culminating in the second coming of Christ. And so it's quite possible that this scroll contains the future of planet Earth, the universe, and the heavens above. Um, And maybe rather than focus so much on exactly uh, uh, what's on the scroll, it seems to me that the focus of this chapter is not what's on the scroll, but... Whose hand the scroll is in. And that seems to be the, the focus. And so let's not write a dissertation on what's on the scroll. <laughs> but, but let's focus on the one that the scroll will be given to. Look at verse 2 through 4. It says, and I saw an angel, a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the book and to break its seals? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the book or look into it. And I began to weep greatly because no one was found worthy to open the book or to look in it. Wow. So there's a, a strong angel who, who, who challenges all of the earth and all of the universe. Now, who is this angel? We don't know. <laughs> Apparently, we don't need to know. Uh, uh, possibly Gabriel. Gabriel. uh, But we don't know. But he asked this question Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And the answer is no one. No one. Now, you know what? There are many who maybe symbolically would have wanted to open up this seal and have worldwide dominion, to have the key to the future. Alexander the Great when he was 31 years old, was weeping in Babylon before his death because he thought there were no more lands that he could conquer. Oh, he would have loved to open that scroll or to have that scroll handed to him. Uh, Hitler, no doubt, wanted to rule the world. Uh, nope, that wasn't going to happen. You know, in our world today, the Muslim Brotherhood is striving for worldwide dominion. Make no mistake about it. That for the radical element of Islam, there is one goal in mind and that's worldwide dominance no matter how you try to spin it no matter how you try to politicize it or westernize it that is the goal that's the goal all right they would love more than anything to take the title deed to the earth or take the authority from the throne of god and implement their belief system Many religious leaders would have wanted to take that scroll from Jesus or from, the God, from God Almighty and to open it. But even the, the great saints of the Bible, I mean, you would think, who's worthy to open the scroll? How about Abraham? Would not Abraham be worthy? How about Moses? Oh, man, the big ten we get from Moses, leading some two to three million people through the wilderness. By the way, if you're not doing anything on Wednesday night, we're having an awesome time through the book of Exodus. Just a little political advertisement there for free. 6.30, Wednesday evening. How about uh, David? Oh, for sure, David would be worthy. No. Solomon? How about John the Baptist? Jesus said that there was no man born of a woman, which is pretty much everyone besides him. uh, 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 There was no one who was greater than John the Baptist. Did you know that? Did you know that Jesus said that about John the Baptist? And not even John the Baptist would be worthy to open that scroll. Paul the Apostle, who wrote most of the new, for sure, Paul would be worthy to open the the scroll, to take, no, no. The question isn't who's willing, but who's worthy. That's the focus of all of this. Because a title deed can only be opened up by the heir. Who's worthy to open it? John weeps. Uh, he is overcome with emotion. Isn't that something? John is in heaven and he weeps. You might think, man, been no weeping in heaven, but that sheer emotion of the fact that no one, at least to this point, is worthy to open it. This scroll perhaps holds the keys, the key to the plans and purposes of God. You ever look at a situation in your life and just wonder how God can intervene? Maybe you just think to yourself, you know what, God, there's just no way. I don't, I don't see any way out of this. You know that when you play chess, and I'm not a chess player, but I've been around people who play chess, so there's, there's so many plausible moves. And the experts are always thinking moves upon moves upon moves ahead. Uh, and, and And the computers can calculate all of the plausible moves that are out there. Sometimes in our life, we look at situations and we think, you know what, maybe this could happen, but I doubt it. You know what, maybe that could happen, but God, beyond that, I don't see how you can possibly change this. But you know what, God is the great chess master. Uh, Forgive me for using such an earthly term, but you know what, he knows all the plausible moves, but beyond that, he knows what he is going to do. He doesn't know the plausible moves. He knows what will happen. Now, if you play chess and you know what your opponent's next move is every time, you ought to be able to win that game, right? I mean, if you know, that's our God. He knows what's going to happen next. W.A. Criswell, the great uh, Dallas uh, Theological Seminary theologian, said this, John's tears represent the tears of all of God's people through all the centuries. They're the tears of Adam and Eve as they view the still form of their dead son Abel and sense the awful consequence of their disobedience. These are the terms of all the, the tears of all the children of Israel in bondage, as they cried to God for deliverance from affliction and slavery. Uh, they are the sobs and the tears wrung from the, uh, the the heart and soul of God's people as they've stood beside graves of loved ones and experienced the indescribable uh, heartaches and disappointments of life. Such is the curse that sin has laid upon God's beautiful creation. No wonder John wept so fervently. If no redeemer could be found to remove the curse, it meant that God's creation was forever consigned to remain in Satan's uh, hand, in the hands of Satan. And, and, and John weeps. But you know what? The story doesn't end there. Like an elder comes by, taps him on the shoulder and says, hey, 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 hey! what are you doing crying in heaven? There is one who is worthy to take the scroll and loose its seals. Can you say amen to that? There is one. Hey, listen, 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 church. There's one. Listen, there's one. There's not many. Well, hold on, let's just scour the universe and the earth and those who have, you know, ever been, of, of men and women who have ever been born, let's hold on, wait a few more minutes to check our database, you know, uh, the network is running slow today, uh, no, there's no need to check the file, we already know, no one else is, you know, I... It drives me crazy when people try to make Jesus just like some other religious leader. Or when they just make him, well, Jesus was just a prophet. Well, Jesus was, was just, you know, he's the, the, the higher consciousness of God. No, you know, stop all that nonsense. You know, the Bible says that there is one who is worthy. There is only one who has the authority. There is only one who's, who is, as we'll see, is in the midst of the throne of God who's worthy to unleash, to open up, to bring what, what, what God has ordained to come to pass. There's only one. And none of this nonsense about Jesus being just a man or Jesus being a created angel. Listen, if an angel could have opened up the scroll, Gabriel could have opened it. Oh, there are plenty of angels. One of these living creatures could. No, there's one, only one. That's why Jesus said there was no other way to God, but by Him. Sorry, that's how it is. There's only one who's worthy. That's it. Verse 5 through 7. Well, who is it? Ah, you know the answer. One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that is from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has overcome so as to open the book and its seven seals. Notice he is the one who has overcome. Therefore, he's worthy to open the book and its seven seals. And I saw between the throne... With the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, went out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the, uh, the right hand of him who sat on the throne. John, what are you crying about, boy? We got this all taken care of. There is one who is worthy, he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Okay, Jewish folk will get this immediately because this was a title for the Messiah to come. Genesis chapter 49, verse 9 and 10. Judah, uh, uh, Jacob is is, is is transferring blessings and speaking prophetically to each of his, his 12 sons, which would be the 12 tribes of Israel or the 12 tribes of, Je- uh, of Jacob. And he, and he says... Uh, In 49, 9 and 10. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down. Like a lioness who dares to rouse him. The scepter will not depart from Judah. What is the scepter? That's what the king has. And he says, the scepter will not part from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants until the coming of the one whom it belongs, the one whom the nations will honor, the lion of the tribe of Judah, and that is Jesus. Listen, someone said this. I forget who said it. This was an awesome quote. Jesus Christ is the only living Jew who can prove his kingship from the genealogical records. Why? Because the genealogical records have been destroyed. When Titus destroyed Israel in 70 A.D., all of the genealogical records are gone. Oh, by the way, we happen to have the genealogical records, the ancestry of of Jesus in the New Testament. So it has been preserved. He's the only one who can prove his kingship from the genealogical records. He's the son of David. Uh, uh, and that was often used when he was uh, ministering on earth. But he's also the root of David. And that comes out of 11, uh, Isaiah eleven ten, 10. And it says this. And in that day, there shall be a root of Jesse, David's father, uh, who shall stand as a banner to his people. For the Gentiles shall seek him and his resting place shall be glorious. Who is the root of uh, David? Uh, that's Jesus Okay, so read it again. One of the elders said to me, Stop weeping. Behold, the lion that's from the tribe of Judah. That's the that's the Messiah. The root of 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 David. That's the Messiah, right? Okay. Uh, and he's overcome, is able to open a book and its seals. And 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 I saw between the throne the four living creatures and the elders a lamb. Okay, Jesus, the lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb. <laughs> okay the lion of the tribe of Judah sounds like a MMA introduction huh ah, here he comes ah. get ready for the boom right the lion the sound the noise the whoo the lion Do you know lions are pretty powerful right let me recommend a book to you by Gary Richmond. It's called All God's Creatures. All God's Creatures. And it talks about, this man is a zoologist, and it talks about the, the animals in the Bible and what they symbolize and how God uses that imagery. The lion of the tribe of Judah. And he says that a lion's roar can be heard from a distance of over five miles. I don't know five miles from here. I don't know where that would be. Anybody live five miles from here? Anyone? Where do you live? 95 at Rancho. Rancho. Five miles. <laughs> so, take a line outside, you know, give them the cue, say, point that direction and give me all you got. And I could be standing at, not, at 95 at Rancho and go, oh, there it is, five miles away. Okay? Now, if you were standing next to that, Lion, like, in front of him when he... Were, like, you thought when you were young and you went to that concert and you like to get up next to the speaker. Okay, that's nothing compared to this. Because your entire body would reverberate. Um, the, 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 the Between one and three... Uh, 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 is it kegahertz, kilohertz? I don't even know. KHZ, whatever that is. Kilohertz? Thank you, all you sound people and scientists. Between one and three, kilohertz. Okay, so, so the lion... oh. John turns, and it's gonna be this just oh, this massive roar oh we oh, I can't wait to see jesus the and instead he sees a lamb and and the word for lamb there is not like you know it's just it's it's a partic- particularly specifically a little delicate lamb <laughs> that's. Lion of the tribe of Judah! That's a lamb. J.B. Phillips says, John turned to behold a lion, but instead of a shaggy mane and gaping jaws and a dreadful teeth, he saw a lamb. Was there ever a more dramatic moment in history of the universe? The lion was none other than the lamb. 28 times in the book of Revelation, not exactly a power symbol, is it? I mean, if the NFL team were coming to Las Vegas and they polled the people and said, give us names for the, for the new NFL team in Las Vegas. You guys have been crying for a team all these years. We got the arena built. What's the name? Someone goes, the Las Vegas Liar. I mean, yes, Lions, right? Okay, no, the Las Vegas Lambs. How many votes do you think that would get? A couple of kids, maybe. Oh, I like that. The Lambs. You know, eh. You know, the symbol would be a little lamb. You know, You know. You see the mo- the mascot run out every time we score. You know, maybe you could maybe put like a chimpanzee on it if it could even carry the weight of the doggone thing. You know, I don't know. You know, <laughs> a little monkey, one of those little monkeys, you know, they ride on the dogs, but it might like crush the poor thing. Every time they score, eh, give it your best lamb shout. Fathers, are you listening? Write this down. It's this is powerful symbolism. I was thinking about being a dad. And I was thinking about how we need to father. And I think we can follow this symbolism because the lamb is the symbol of humility. Write that down, humility. It's the symbol of meekness. Write that down, meekness. Husbands, if you don't have kids, write this down too. Humility, meekness, and also it's a symbol of sacrificial love. The Jewish reader got this immediately. Because if they wanted their sins atoned for, you'd have to bring a lamb to the temple. You'd lay your hands on that lamb and you'd confess your sins over the lamb and in a sense that your your guilt and your shame would be transferred onto that lamb when the priest would, would take its throat, slit it, And the blood would drain, and you would watch it, and you would know that your sins were forgiven. John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Oh, highly symbolic. That innocent lamb would be slain to cover your sin. Wouldn't take it away, but it would cover it. So Jesus here is the lamb in heaven. But it's as though he's been slain. He's, wo- he's wounded. You ever had a wound that just wouldn't go away? You ever had that? Like, maybe it's in an area you keep bumping it, and it's like, ah, oh, bumped it again, and you kind of re- you know. I think it was two years ago we went to this family camp. We thought, you know, this would be fun. we got to go on vacation anyway, family camp. It was kind of a four-square deal, and we thought, all right, we'll hang out with the brothers and sisters, and we'll do some family fun stuff. And uh, it was it was fun. And and they had one thing. They had this this uh, little football game, but it was mud football. How many of you guys ever played mud football? All right, yeah, maybe some gals too. I'm not trying to be sexist here or anything like that. But uh, so so my kids... My oldest kid in particular says, Dad, we ought to do that. I go, I am not playing no mud football. I'm not, no, no, mud basketball I wouldn't even do, all right? I'm not doing it, man. And he's like, come on, Dad, it'll be fun. Uh, And I thought, well, it is family camp and, you know, young fellow wants Dad to drag along in the mud. And I thought, you know what, it might be fun. You could slide, you know, and get real nasty, dirty, and go give my wife a big hug or something, you know, right after. Okay, kind of like a, you know, Father, son, mud football thing. And then I said, well, where is this place at? And they told us where it was. And, and, I, and I went and I said, and I'm thinking it was like they'd have like you know like fire hoses and this big muddy, it's just all mud, right? No, it was like this swamp. <laughs> and I'm like, wait a minute, you know, and there's like grass and twigs and rocks. And you know, but I didn't know that and I had already committed so I can't back out now. You know, and plus, you know, I sized up the competition and thought we had a good shot of winning this thing too. That, that was just me, and uh, and you know, so we're having fun, and you know, we're di- you know, we're, and they, but guys are get, guys are going down, guys are getting hurt, you know, guys his shoulder. And it's tackle. It's not just you know push down. It's tackle, right? And So um, I don't know what happened. I I you know someone threw me a pass and I knelt down and I and I caught it and and man I knelt right on a rock. Oh man, and it just mulched my knee, it did, and of course, I had to finish, I had to take one for the team, and so actually, I was done, I said, you know what, no, I'm out of here, that's it, and, um, and, and it was just, it just seemed like it would never, it took forever to heal, and changing bandages, changing band. you know, you ever had one, it just seemed like it would never heal, I mean, finally, it did, now I got this little scar thing on my knee, it's all funky, and it's like, you know, I knew I shouldn't have done that, I knew it, of course, my son, Richie, nothing happened to him. He was unscathed. You know, it's a, it was a mess, and, and it, it's healed, but you can still see the scars, right? Jesus is portrayed as if slain. And the Greek word is sphado sphado and, 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 and that word slain refers to a, a particularly violent death. It's used seven times in the New Testament, and each time, four times, it refers to the particularly violent death that Jesus died. Um, and, and so what does that mean? It means that the sacrifice of Jesus in heaven is still fresh. Could I say it like that? Um, remember when, when Thomas said, when Jesus appeared in the room and Thomas had said, unless I see the, the nail marks in his hands and, and put my hand in there and in his side, I won't believe. And then Jesus showed up and says, Thomas, you know, come on. In. And he went and put your fingers through the marks. The, those, the, 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 the marks of the cross will be with Jesus even in his glorified state in heaven. And here as a lamb, he is portrayed as one as if he had been slain. And it's it's like it's like that that sacrifice is still fresh in heaven. It's still current. And it's it's as if it just happened. It doesn't keep happening, but it's as as if it 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 just happened. So here's the point that's important when we as sinners come to the throne of grace and we need forgiveness, and we need grace and we need mercy. His, his sacrifice, even though it was 2,000 years ago, is current, and it's enough, and the sacrifice of Jesus never gets stale. Can you say amen to that? Amen. There's enough forgiveness there. You know, someone said, we were talking to someone the other night, and this, this guy's an amazing singer, uh, and he even sang a bit of a gospel song, but he made, you know, you could sing gospel music and not know, the, the, not know Jesus, right? I mean, if you can make money singing gospel music, people sing it, they don't have to really believe in Jesus. Uh, uh, but he's saying this song. We're like, oh man, you know, oh, you ought to go. Oh man. If I went to church, man, no, I don't I think the place would explode. Now, listen, man, there's plenty of grace, you know, for you. And by the way, you know, you come to our church, you might run into a whole bunch of people, a whole lot worse than you. Okay. Uh, who've been transformed by the transforming grace of Jesus Christ. And, and so notice that this, that this lamb has, has seven eyes, seven horns, Seven eyes, which represent the seven spirits of God sent out to all the earth. Seven horns. Okay. And now, first of all, the number seven in the Bible is symbolic of perfection. It's God's number, if you would. Uh, uh, That's why back in the day when Randall Cunningham was trying to win the Super Bowl, he was number seven. Right? Remember that? Minnesota fans? No? Okay. Um, Seven is the number of perfection. Six days, man works. And on the seventh day, God rested. Right? You with me? We're almost done. Relax. We're almost done. Okay. All right. All right. Uh, uh, the, the children of Israel were to walk around the walls of Jericho six times. And on the seventh time, they were blow your trumpet. Walls. Boom. Right. Remember that? Because that six is the number of man. Seven is the number of God. Seven horns. Horns in the Bible are symbolic of power. Power. And so here's this lamb with seven horns, which is perfect power. Theologians call that omnipotence. Not only that, seven eyes. Oh, okay. That's symbolic of vision or wisdom. Okay, perfect wisdom. That's omniscience. That is, Jesus has all knowledge. Jesus has all power. And then the seven spirits of God that go out throughout the entire earth, that's perfect presence. And that means uh, omnipresence. These are all three attributes of God. God is All-powerful, God is all-knowing, and God is everywhere all at the same time. Attributes of God that just so happen to be attributes of the Lamb. Jesus is the Lion and the Lamb. As a Lamb, He came to redeem His people. And as a Lion, He will rule over His people. He's not just the Lion. That we can get behind. Lion, or tribe of Judah. He's the lion, but he's the lamb. He's both. Isn't that awesome? That's amazing. Notice where he is. It says, and I saw, verse 6, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders uh, a lamb standing as if slain. Between the throne, down in my Bible, in in the commentary little portion, in the the footnote, it says this literally in the middle of the throne and the four living creatures and the middle of the elders. Did you get that? Did you get that? Where is Jesus? Wait a minute, don't answer. Okay? He's in heaven, he's not in a manger, he's not in Jerusalem, he's not on the cross. And he sure ain't in the tomb. He's not there. He's in heaven. And he's between the throne and the four living creatures. And the He is in the literally in the middle of the throne. He is in the midst of the... You could say that Jesus is the centerpiece of the throne. No, that's where God is. Yeah, and that's where Jesus is. Do you know that you can boldly enter that throne and receive grace and mercy whenever you need it do you know that you have a backstage pass to heaven anytime that you need it and if you can't picture in your mind going there just call out to jesus and he will be right there in your time of need all creation centers in him and around him look what he does let's finish up with this Verse 6, and I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders, a lamb standing as if slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took it out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Notice where he is. Look at what he does. Whatever... on that scroll he's the only one in all of everything who can take it out of the hand of God Almighty. And he gives it to him. (laughs) Um, Matthew 13 says this. The kingdom of heaven, Jesus said, is like a treasure that was hid in a field. And when a man finds that treasure he hides it and for joy goes and sells all that he has, and he buys the field. It's a picture of God giving his best. Jesus divesting himself of all to come to this earth to buy the world, if you would. The field. Why does Jesus want the field? Because of the treasure that's in the field. What's the treasure? That's you that god emptied out heaven and sent the only one who could come and travel the distance to live and die and raise from the dead to get the field not because he treasures the field so much he does but because of that which is in the field that's you and that's me <sighs> he will come as the ruler who has the right to reign. Have you given Jesus title deed to your life? There's a transaction that needs to happen there too. Based on what we've read, we believe all of this to be true. Based on who Jesus is and what he has done and what that means for you and for me, have you you given him the right to rule in your heart and in your life. Here's the thing about love. It must have a choice or it's not love. God is more than capable of just forcing us. But that's not his way because that's not the way of love. The way of love is to give a choice. And that's what God does. See, here's the thing. he's, He's going to take over the earth. Uh, every political figure will move out of the way for the one who is in the midst of the throne. The lion, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus, every, no, 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 I'm not bowing. Okay, stop acting, you don't even know what you're saying. You will bow. No, that's just the way it is. When the Bible says every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus, that's going to happen. Well, I don't believe it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you believe. I'm just. You can argue with Jesus when you see him that that's you don't believe it, but you won't be. You'll be confessing and kneeling. It's like my mechanic says. We can fix this now for this much, or we can fix it later for that much. I go fix it now. <laughs> fix it now, right? That's a crude analogy, but. Have you taken the remedy for your sin, the blood of the Lamb, to redeem us from our sin? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, Christianity ain't going nowhere because our leader, Jesus, isn't going anywhere. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. And when it seems like hell is just on an all-out sprint of evil, just remember Who's in the midst of the throne? When you feel like your life is unraveling, and there's just no sense of God in the midst of it, just remember who's on the throne. And if you've never asked Jesus into your life, I give you that opportunity right now. Here's what that means.